Welcome back again to the Real Life Theology Podcast. We really hope you're having a great week. In this episode, Todd Wilson and Brett Andrews dive deeper into what the Renewed Movement is all about. Brett describes how Renewed Movement is committed to owning lostness. They discuss how church planting in history has been birthed out of the ordinary church, not necessarily the extraordinary church. They encourage every church, no matter what the size of the church or where they're at in their disciple-making journey, to be planting churches and making this a part of their DNA. We're looking forward to joining you in this episode today. We hope you enjoy. My name is Todd Wilson. I appreciate everybody coming. Some of you were able to come uh, last night to our thing. Um, what we want to do is uh, talk a little bit about the vision for and what Renew Movement's going to be and get a, more into the detail than we do just at the high level so people understand what it is we're going to be doing. So, um, Brett Andrews, did you already introduce yourself? No. I apologize. So, um, Brett Andrews is one of the founding board members of Renew. Uh, Brett is uh, the founding pastor of New Life Christian Church. Um, New Life is a church planting church, um, planted over 300 churches, or been involved in over 300 church plants, um, founding church of Exponential, and so Brett's going to kind of co-lead the session with me, we'll tag team a bit, and uh, our goal is to try to do a, a little bit of content presentation, but we really want to get to a point of Q&A to be able to talk about things, so uh, let's jump in and go. Okay. Um, my uh, purpose is just to give some perspective on how we got here uh, in the first place. So let's begin actually with a prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that you're in this room. I thank you that you have called us to your kingdom in this generation. I, we, our prayer is that you would accomplish in this time together everything you want to accomplish. So to that end, guide our thoughts and conversations. Christ we pray. Amen. Um, so, uh, if, to understand the perspective, you might, might, if you don't know better, you might think we're kind of here out of the la- something from the last year, or the last two years, or the last five years. Really, uh, there's a deeper perspective than that. And the first thing I would say is to understand renew movement, you have to understand that we are owning lostness. The value of owning lostness in this generation, and I would juxtapose that against being committed to church growth. Okay, one of the transitions that we think that needs to take place, there's a significant difference between owning the lostness of our community and being committed to growing a church. Um, One way to understand that perspective is... um, uh, Ying Kai is somebody who's a, a friend of some of ours. Ying, about 25 years ago in China, started a church. And his desire was to reach people uh, for Christ in China. And after a couple of years, he had grown the church to be about 230, 250 people. And, and then he was really, he was burdened by this idea that if they continue to grow at that rate, they will, they will have very little impact on China. Yes, they'll be able to save some lives, but in terms of the impact that China needs for the kingdom in our lifetime, that his vision was too small. And so Ying, Ying's vision was really driven by owning the lostness of China. And he would say, 
Therefore, we count the lost, not the saved. The difference between owning lostness and being committed to church growth and desiring church growth is church growth often, we, we, our celebration is how many people are here on Sunday morning? How many people do we call a part of this church? Owning lostness is the vision for our, our neighborhoods, our communities, our towns, our region. The result of that shift in perspective for Ying is the result of, it was, was the difference between starting a church that was reaching 250 people after a few years and starting a movement of disciple makers that planted something like uh, 450,000 churches in China. Now, as soon as I say that, Ying doesn't like when I say that. Bill Smith, who oversaw him, doesn't like it because, you know what they say? That's such an American thing. You're counting the saved. We count the lost. So with that in mind, the question becomes, what's the most uh, effective way for us to have an impact on our generation reaching lost people? Um, and it goes that would go back to the late 1980s when Peter Wagner... Um, made the suggestion that really we've latched on to, which is there's no more effective means of reaching lost people than starting new churches. And by the way, I really, I, I, I still believe that's really true, even though there, we have to go deeper than just starting new churches. If, just because you start a new church doesn't mean you get reproduction. For there to be a church planting movement, there has to be reproduction of church plants. For there to be reproduction of church plants, there has to be reproduction at the smallest level, which is disciple-making. And so after being frustrated with a lack of church planting movement in the United States, I would pause to say, I still believe it's true that there, they say there are no church planting movements, there's no uh, disciple-making movements in the West. We see them in the global south and the, and, and the global um, uh, east, southeast, but we don't see him in the west. How, why is that? It's because we need to be. It's because we need to learn how to reproduce disciples who make disciples, who reproduce churches that reproduce churches. Um, let me pause and say, if we get into the conversation later, um, some are going to say. Uh, chicken egg, should we really make our commitment to planting new churches? I would say yes, because it's a forcing factor for discipleship. When you make the commitment to say, we've got to reproduce churches, our church has to be a part of a new church plant. Um, even in this, Maybe you're not being real effective in disciple making. If you make a commitment to church planting, it forces you to be committed to disciple making. So I would encourage you to do that even as, a, even as a forcing factor for that. Okay, having said that, then the next question becomes, um, if we're going to be a part of a disciple-making movement that creates a church planting movement, what, are, what is the key besides the Bible, Holy Spirit, all of that? Um, years ago, Todd and I were sitting in the... In, our offices in this old building in Centerville, Virginia, and asking that question. And what occurred to us is the key is not Trader's Point planting new churches. The key is not Southeast Christian Church planting new churches. Mega churches 
can plant churches without thinking twice. Um, uh, the key for, but, but megachurches have been growing and megachurches have been planting churches and we still don't have reproduction movements. The key is actually, I've got to think, and it's my home church in small town Pennsylvania, which for the life of the church has probably been 200 to 300 people. And if, if, if we're going to have a church planting movement, we have to have ordinary churches church planting. If you think about how God has changed the world, it has never been through, I shouldn't say never, for the most part, it's not been through the spectacular, it's been through ordinary Galileans that God uses to reproduce disciples who reproduce churches. And if we're going to have a reproducing movement of disciple makers and church plants in our generation, the key is for every church that we are connected to, for every church to be able to say, we can plant. And for us to take away the barriers that keep churches that are 100 or 200 from saying, we can't plant. And so what Brett is suggesting, the priority of collaboration, like if, if yeah. the idea is that uh, any church, and the, and the way we're coming at it from a Renew Movement standpoint is, any church ought to be one board decision away from being involved in church planting literally ought to be able to go to a board meeting tonight and make a commitment to church planting and not have to say, well, we can't do it because fill in the blank. We can't do it because we're not big enough. We can't do it because we don't have the expertise. We can't do it because we don't have the money. Um, That's what Brett means by we're trying to take uh, the reasons away to make it easy to participate. Um, The picture I would give you of um, of the importance of collaboration. Um, right now, re- for Renew Movement, uh, we started about nine months ago the legwork to get it going. Design, how's it going to work, what are we going to do? And the approach we decided to take was uh, to get, instead of theoretically, to get actual uh, directional leaders in place at churches, lead pastors, that would pilot church plants in the model we're talking about. And so um, right now, uh, Brett and New Life with Passion for Planting, uh, Brett's one of the directional leaders. Um, One of our pilot church plants is the Baltimore, Washington area. And we'll talk about what that looks like in a minute. Um, The second, the Raleigh-Durham area, Donnie Williams of LifePoint Church is a directional leader, part of Renew. Uh, And so a second pilot church is in the Raleigh-Durham area. Um, Bobby Harrington, that we all know from Renew and Discipleship.org, Harpeth Christian Church and Bobby are a directional, third directional leader. Um, Them, along with Real Life Ministries, Huntsville, Alabama is a third pilot church. Um, Two of our planters are with us in the room from Huntsville, if anybody even wants to talk with them separately. Um, And then... Uh, Real Life Ministries, Jim Putman, Brandon Gindon, uh, their directional leaders uh, as part of this. Uh, there's another pilot church plant actually in Canada that they've got the lead on. Uh, and then the fifth pilot, Dave Clayton and Dave and Sydney that are on the stage, Onward Network uh, and Ethos Church. Uh, they're our fifth pilot, the Onward Network. Both the Onward Network and Real Life Ministries 
are affiliating with Renew Network or Renew Movement. So our goal in Renew Movement is to be able to mobilize churches. It's churches that plant churches as well as networks that are planting churches. And Renew Movement becomes more of a poor gas on what those churches and networks are doing. So it isn't actually Renew Movement that plants the churches. It will be the existing networks who affiliate with it that plant. Or if a church says, well, we'd like to form our own network with four or five other churches, we will help make all those connections for groups or clusters of churches, churches and networks to plant together also. So I I want you to, as we go through this, we're not talking theoretical. We're talking a collaborative approach that's already been used many times over, and we have real ministries, real churches with real pilot plants that are happening. So when I say any church is one decision away from participating, literally we have five pilot churches that if your church right now was thinking, oh, we're trying to figure out how to get involved in church planting, one option is to pick one of the five pilot churches and get involved. Jump in and have a front row seat. Now here's what's beautiful is that when you do that, we are a collaborative learning community together. So you're not only jumping into the church plant you're directly involved in, you're getting the front row seat to the other church plants that are part of the Renew movement uh, for the collective learning. Is that making sense so far? So um, think of Renew movement as the catalyst part of pouring gas on what the local churches and the networks are doing and as a learning laboratory of everybody sort of working together. Um, Here's the power of the collaboration with real numbers. So Dave Clayton and Sidney Clayton and Onward Network, um, they uh, spent seven, when they decided to start planting, the first seven years of their planting journey, um, they put 72 leaders through their church planting pipeline. That produced 47 (coughs) church plants. So just imagine seven years, 72 leaders, 47 church plants. If we just stopped and paused on that, that's the accomplishment of a church. That's not collaborative. That's that's a church that's rolled up their sleeves and said, we're going to pump out church plants. And we could celebrate that story. That puts them in the top 0.01% of churches in America in terms of church planting activity, which says something about the intentionality and the commitment part of it. But the power comes in after those seven years. Last year was their eighth year, and they put 76 people through the training pipeline last year. So years one through seven, 72 people. Eighth year, in one year, 76 people. This year, their ninth year, they'll put about 200 people through the training pipeline. Is that making sense? Now, here's the key. Last year and this year, the reason it's accelerating up on an exponential curve is they shifted from just doing the training in Nashville with the 10 or 15 they do a year to now they're having other churches replicate what they're doing and repeating what they're doing But all of those churches are part of a collective, collaborative network, learning together, working together, resourcing together, but it gets decentralized out to the churches. And here's the the statistic I love the best, is 
So the 200 church planners going through their training pipeline this year, anyone want to venture a guess at where the top place is they're getting those church planners? Because the number one problem we're having in church planning right now is finding qualified church planners. Dave Clayton's local network is putting 200 church planting candidates through a training pipeline this year. Where are they getting their planters? What's that? That, that would definitely be part of it. I'll just jump to the punchline. They are completely organically getting them internally. 80% of the 200, 80%, 160 leaders are coming from the churches of the 150 leaders that have been already through the training pipeline. So they're not having to go outside they're collaboratively using the community that they've already got to raise up the leaders. Only 20% of the 200 are coming from outside their circle, but now even those 40 will become part of the collaborative community. It really is the idea, very practically, that we can do more together than we can do on our own, because the current paradigm is a professional staff. There's a financial model to that, and the, it is the old adage, follow the money. If, if we, this is not at all, pick, I love this place, like where we're at. But if we followed the money in this facility, I don't know, is this a $25 million building? There's a staff that goes with it. More than that? How much? Quite a bit? Yeah. So whatever it is, it's way up in the millions. And... There's a strength in that. There is absolutely a strength. And part of what happens is the staff, like it or not, I can already tell you, if we come and sit in on staff meetings, there's largely an event-driven program kind of thing. We, we can't spend $25 million or more on a building and not use the building. So there's a calendar that's got to go and we bridge it to evangelism with, well, we've got to reach people, but the way we've got to reach people is we've got to get them to this building. And in some ways, the staff become programming directors, and their, jo- their real job title is they're not disciple makers or pastors, they're program directors. And that's where the link to the money, the, the elephant in the room of follow the money, if we trace the money of the real flow of what happens in this church, I'm not picking on this church, it's illustrative of any, but if we follow the money trail, we're going to see a money trail of time, talent, and treasure that has no margin for disciple-making, or very little margin for disciple-making. The machine machine part of it is what I'm talking about. If all we did was follow the time, talent, treasure of operating this and the machine part of this, if we really, really, really got candid with the staff and said, just like we could go look in their checkbooks and how much money they're spending on individual things, if we said, let's look at the time allocation of disciple-making activities, we would start rationalizing that, well, the time you're spending cleaning the cotton candy machine for the event is disciple-making time because it goes to connecting with people. 
I'm, I'm not being negative on that. I'm saying that's the reality of the current system. When we're talking about the money and the breaking out of the money and the staffing part, is it's so strongly tied to how it all integrates together. The money, the facilities, the staff are so tightly coupled in the current operating system. So when you're talking about the, you know, the captive to the paradigm or you want a hybrid to get into, I think it's all tied together. I think it is a, you know, if we're, we're, we're in trouble, if we all agree we want to do church planting and we want to see better results. The description of this breakout that you're coming to is, how do we plant healthy, disciple-making, biblically sound churches? And the reality is, where's the model that we can go look at in the U.S. church right now where we would say there's the five most successful things at it in the U.S. context right now? And so when, when Jeff's saying we've got to have like a learning laboratory or a hybrid or an incubator, I, I personally think that's exactly right. Like if we say, oh, we got to wholeheartedly go after church planning and we want different results than what we're getting, then what we don't want to do is go spend all our energy doing it the same way we've been doing it. So that's where I'm, I'm resonating with what you guys are putting up is this seventh one. It ties the other ones together. There's not a magic to five. It could be three, it could be six, it could be 12. But if we took five churches, and just imagine that five churches committed to work together for three years on a project to plant a church, and and that three years, each of these five churches were going to commit $16,000 a year for three years. I want to go back to what Brett started with. We got to get to where churches of 100 to 150 can participate in church planning. So it's a decision and a commitment, but let's say 16,000 a year if it was happening. Um, and some bigger churches are doing it potentially with more. Five churches at 16,000 a year for three years is a $250,000 budget. The planter needs to be able to raise some of their own support. So the combination of those churches putting $16,000 in a year um, and then the church planter raising some money is enough to plant the church in most places at this point, especially in a hybrid model that would be evolving. Now, here's what we're thinking. Uh, Most church plants don't already have elders. So these four or five churches, that are committing a certain financial level, they become the management team slash elder board who are responsible for these key decision-making points. What model? What's the thing we're piloting? Where's it going to be? Who's the planter going to be? So that the decision-making part is not some institution or organization doing it. It's the collection of the churches. Now, in addition to these five, now imagine that there are five, 10, 15 more churches who, who subscribe to the theological statement, want the intentionality of disciple-making at the core, and want to collaborate, but they can't put $16,000 a year in. Maybe they can only put 1000 in a year. Maybe they can only do 3000 a year. And so that's where we want every church to be one decision away. Now, 
these churches that don't meet whatever the group decides is the threshold for a man being on the management team, they still get to participate as collaboratively part of the church plan. Their church is part of the church plan. The learnings, they can invest whatever they want in people. They can go visit the church and help with, you know, out on volunteerism, whatever it is they want to do. Um, this is bringing together the financial picture and the collaborative piece. Um, if you come back over on the expert uh, expertise and support systems, um, the way Renew Movement is set up right now is, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Passion for Planting. Patrick Bradley is the leader of Passion for Planting. So Passion for Planting has committed that it will, as a default, for the churches that come together, that want to plant a church together, Passion for Planting is going to do the infrastructure support that those churches, if they want it, which means the assessment, training, all project management services so that the churches that are coming together don't have to have the expertise. That it's basically support service being done, and it won't be just Passion for Planting. We have, a, like, Real Life Ministries has a residency program. Onward has a residency program. It, as, as the group of Renew Movement grows to more churches, the expertise that's part of the family gets offered into these church plants from the collective of what's there. But the idea is, if we keep going back to the idea of being one decision away, and you don't have, we want to be able to say, your church doesn't have to have a lot of money. Your church doesn't have to already have a planter pipeline. Your church doesn't have to have expertise. You can come together as part of a collective where we're imagining the least one of these churches in a, in a, in a plant would have church planting experience. So like if you take the five pilots right now, hundreds and hundreds of church plants experience in, represented in the pilots. And as we do each one of these, we're envisioning that uh, there will be existing church planting churches that are in them. Now, where the learning laboratory fits, the hybrid part of the learning laboratory, we have to figure out, if we're committed to biblically sound disciple-making churches, we've got to learn together what the, the part of that is. And so that's the commitment that we're, it's going to be a distinctive that we're figuring out. Yeah. Can I answer one question you may be asking is, so what's the value of these churches being involved? The value is not what, it's not trying to get more churches in because we need their money. Uh, it's a taste and see that the Lord is good principle. When we started our first church, what we discovered was the people who were most involved in church planting were those who also had the greatest vision for church planting. And so for churches to get a vision for church planting, they, they have to somehow get involved in church planting. And somehow some of the people need to get involved in church planting. And so it's a give them a taste so that they can take a next step. Rather than the bar's way up here before they can ever do it, we want to get people involved here so they can experience the joy of the Lord in church planting. There was a guy in our session this morning that's a lead minister of a church of about 150. Patrick and I talked to him. Um, they are one staff person, 150. They, they're, they're doing well by the normal standards of the prevailing model. 
Um, they're financially okay. They want to get into church planting. They actually, an area of town that they want to see a Latino church plant happen in, they have a double handicap right now. They have no experience in the Latino culture or Latino planting, and they've never planted a church before. And they're saying, we want to plant a church, but we don't know what to do. And so when they see that that they have the ability to put some amount of money in, and they look down this list at the model we're talking about, our advice to them is jump in and get into one of the five pilots or be part of another pilot where you and your elders can get exposed and you either conclude you want to be a part of doing this or you've drank the water and decided you don't want it kind of thing. But he got he's getting excited because he can all of a sudden, look what they've got. They actually have money. They don't have any of these other things. So they're stuck. Now just think about that for a second. If you've got a church that actually does have some money, and they've got some heart to do it, but they don't know what to do. What are you going to do if you're him? You have three probably choices. Paralysis of not doing anything. Second is you hire somebody because you don't know what you, you don't know what to do on all these things. So you're going to either hire or just give your money to somebody else and you don't get to be involved. Or you collaboratively find a group of people that have experience, know what they're doing, or learning together, and you pull together with that group. And that's why for him, it's an option that, it, it's one of those things that it's, on one hand, it's an obvious thing, and on the other, a lot of us don't think of it that way. We, there are so many people that think we can't plant a church until fill in the blank, and the until is one of we can't plant a church until we can afford it. We can't plant a church until we've got a, you know, some I, kind of intern residence. We, we need to let y'all go. Yeah. I, I don't remember what I don't know what the statistics are right now. Seventy-five um, percent of churches that get planted don't replant. That's a horrible number. But when New Life started, the the what they used to say was if a church doesn't plant within the first three years of its existence, it likely never will. Yeah. And so the longer, the principle here as well is the longer it takes for a church to be involved in a church plant, the less chance that church ever will be a part of a church plant. And so you want to get the churches involved in church planting as, as soon as and, possible. And what and the practical part of what Fred's saying is, look what happens when this group of churches come together. They plant a church. What's the likelihood they're going to want to turn around and do another? Very high. And look what happens. The church plant that they do together immediately from day one gets to be part of the next church plant. If you're a church plant out of one of these, you just pick one of the other church plants that's happening in a new movement, and you immediately join into it, and your church plant from day one is saying, we're involved in church planting. You're not having to wait for anything. In fact, we are, we are going to, it'll be one of the very few requirements, but I think most of our pilots are going to require that the plants immediately get involved in church planting. Thanks again for joining the Real Life Theology Podcast. We will be back next week with another great track session. Looking forward to being with you then.